We're in the second week of a new series that we launched last Sunday titled, A Weary World Rejoices. A phrase from a favorite, perhaps for some of you, certainly a favorite of mine, a favorite Christmas carol, a favorite song that puts into words some of the longings that we may feel around Christmas time. And so last week, we looked and, and focused particularly on this idea, long lay the world in sin and error pining. And we talked about the weariness that often accompanies waiting. Waiting for something we can name and point to. Waiting for something that we can't necessarily name or can't necessarily put our fingers on. There is a weariness that comes from waiting. And yet, Christmas is a time to rejoice. It is a time to rejoice in spite of the weariness and because of our hope in Christ And so our big idea last week, our bottom line, was that how we wait and what we do with the weariness that often comes at Christmas really matters. It matters to a world that is watching. It matters to a world that has now had their attention given to Christ and to Christmas. And we have an opportunity to connect the dots for them. So today we continue that thought, we continue that idea, and we're looking at another phrase from that song, O Holy Night, where it tells us that the soul felt its worth. The full line says, he appeared, then he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. And so we're going to be talking today about the value that God places on our souls. But before we do, I want you to think maybe just a little more concretely about what is the most valuable possession you have? What is the most valuable thing that you own? To make this a little more practical. Now, if you're a homeowner, for most people that own a home, that's the most valuable thing they own. It's often the largest single asset that somebody has. And so if we think about that for just a moment, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I put some numbers to this, and I thought about this in a couple of different ways. And I want to share that with you because if you think about the, uh, the fact that the average home price in Sioux Falls is just a shade under $250,000, that's a lot of money. Now, maybe your home is worth more than that. Maybe your home is worth less than that. Maybe you have other assets. But if we think about a $250,000 house and we think about somebody making a 20% down payment, that would be $50,000, and taking out a $200,000 mortgage that they would pay out over the next 30 years, even at historically low interest rates, if they made every payment over the next 30 years, they would pay $330,000 on that $200,000 loan for that $250,000 house. You tracking with me a little bit here? That's a lot of money. That's extra money because if you have to borrow, then you have to pay interest, you have to pay back, and so on and so forth. But my mind went to how much time does that represent? How much time? Because time is our only non-renewable resource. Like, we don't get more time. We get a certain number of minutes in every day. We get a certain number of days on this earth, and we cannot create more time necessarily. So I did a little bit more math, and I found that if somebody made $20 an hour, that example that we just gave would represent 16,500 hours of work in order to purchase that home. And that's just a house. That's just a, that's just a material possession. And I look at the eyes of the people in this room and I would bet every single one of you, if you had a child or a grandchild or a loved one that was sick and you could sell that home 
to pay for life-saving medical treatments, you would do it in a heartbeat. You would, you would sacrifice your biggest resource in order to save the life of someone you love because we value people more than things. At least we should. We value people more than things, and we get that from our Heavenly Father. So at the outset of this message, I want you to consider for a moment, do you realize how valuable your soul is to God? As we think about that line in the song, the soul felt its worth when Jesus appeared, do you realize how valuable your soul is to God? The value of something is determined by the price that someone will pay for it. You realize the price that God has paid for your soul. And the second question comes right after it. We have to ask, do you realize the value of everyone else's soul to our Heavenly Father? Do you realize the value, not just to the people here in this room, not just the Christians, not the ones that are sitting in a church on a Sunday morning, but the people that are farthest from God? Do you realize the value that their soul has to God? Even your most bitter enemy, perhaps, their soul is of immense and immeasurable value to God because of the price that he was willing to pay for that soul. And so we're going to talk about that a bit today. And we're going to talk about our response to it. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, as you might have guessed from the little introduction uh, video there. If you're following along uh, in your in your. Bible. There's Bibles available for you here in the sanctuary, just in the seat backs in front of you. Uh, you can grab one of those and turn to page eight, 1902, or you can get out your own Bible. Uh, but I want to give you a little bit of an introduction to First John, because if you have been doing the Banding Together reading program and marching through, you probably got to First John and you said, this letter is not like the others. <laughs> First John is different. And it's intentionally different. In fact, the people who write Bible commentaries have pointed out that 1 John reads more like a sermon. It cycles through certain topics several times. Now, he had a very specific purpose in writing it, but he accomplishes that purpose through a cyclical manner, revisiting certain themes over and over, namely that God is light and that God is love. Those are the two main themes that are presented in the first half of 1 John. Over and over, he's making the point that God is light. And then in the second half, over and over, he's making the point that God is love. And so if you hold up 1 John next to one of Paul's letters, which are very linear, he makes a statement, he justifies that statement, he moves on, applies that to our lives. It's very linear. 1 John is very different. And so it underscores the importance of those themes that God is light and God is love. And his purpose is stated clearly early in the the letter that it would be written to New Testament Christians, encouraging them to hold to sound doctrine, to hold or to, to cultivate fervent devotion, and to result in obedient living. That if you have sound doctrine, you know what to believe about God and who he says you are and what you should do with that, and you're fervently devoted to God, then the result of that will be obedient living. So that was John's purpose, and we're going to focus on one portion in particular from John, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. If you read along with me, we'll read the first couple of verses and we'll pause and seek to, to understand that a little more deeply. So 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 and 10. This is how God 
showed his love among us. You see, in verse 8, John just said emphatically, God is love. He doesn't want us to think that's just an abstract thing. So in verse 9, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. It's not just abstract. It's not just theoretical. It's concrete. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his, lo- his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is one of those gospel in a nutshell passages where the, the profundity of what is being stated, what is being shared with us cannot be overstated. The magnitude of Christmas is mind-boggling. And we see it in these verses right here. That God's love initiated everything. It initiated our relationship with him. It initiated us even being aware that there is a God. The first act of love by our Heavenly Father was to reveal himself to us. To begin entering into relationship with humanity, with, with individuals, that they would share the good news that there is a God in heaven. Not many gods, one God. Not false gods, a true God. And so he revealed himself to us and he initiates relationship with us. And when we mess all that up, as you can read about in the Old Testament, he initiates a response to that. He initiates a solution to that in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to satisfy not just the Old Testament, but to initiate a New Testament, to bring a new kingdom to earth. And the clearest picture of God's love is Advent. It's Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth living a perfect sinless life, and dying on a cross. That is the clearest picture of God's love. And there's an important phrase there in verse 9 when it tells us that he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son. Those words one and only are really important. Because Jesus, God's son, stands unique, stands apart from all of his other children of God that come into his family through a relationship with Jesus. That phrase, one and only, comes from a Greek word that means one of a kind. Jesus was a one of a kind in his relationship with God. He was God. He was not created. Scripture tells us that he was not created. Rather, everything was created in him and through him and by him and for him. He is totally unique. And that's really important because we create things that are of another nature than ourselves. But we beget things that are of the exact same nature as ourselves. And so if you have an older translation, it says his only begotten son. Or maybe you memorized John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the same phrase. It's the same word. It recognizes the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Now, in my own life, I can give examples of this. I've created a few things. I don't consider myself handy. I tell people I'm handy at the end of my arms, and that's about it. That's one dad joke. I only get four a day because I have four kids. But I've created a few things where I have taken raw materials and I have worked with those raw materials in order to make or create something that has some artistic or some utility Uh, to it. I made a chessboard in high school. I think I've shown a picture of that before. Turned the chess pieces, you know, cut things apart, glued them back together, and, and formed them into something. I created that. I didn't beget it. 
The only things in this world that I have begotten are my four sons, Keaton, Ryan, Owen, and Carson. They are unique. And my relationship with them is absolutely unique. And that is the same relationship that God has with Jesus. Unique. And so when he gave, he gave the very best. Jesus is God himself. Jesus gave of himself. Left heaven behind to come to earth to be for us exactly what we needed. And scripture tells us here in verse 9 that we might live through him. That we might live eternally through faith in Jesus Christ. That we would step into a new life in Christ. That we would be made new. We would be brand new. That we would... As 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that the old has passed away, the new has come, that we would be a new creation in Christ, that he would recreate us through our faith in Jesus Christ, that there is both a here and now of our eternal life in Christ. We step into that new life, but there is also the foreverness, that we will live forever in this new life through faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 10 tells us that he is a, an atoning sacrifice So this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Again, if you have an older version of scripture, you see a big theological word there, the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is a legal term, and it is best translated as atoning sacrifice or a substitute. That's the real crux of propitiation or of this sacrifice on our behalf is that it's it's a substitute and so the theological term is substitutionary atonement and you think what some of your eyes are glossing over and that's okay we'll break it down we'll make it make sense best way to think about this is if if you were running a little late for church this morning and some of you were because there's more people in here now than there were when I walked in with 30 seconds to go but if you were a little late on your way to church and you decided to push it just a little bit to make a light and you ended up going 50 and a 40, and there was a police officer at that, <laughs> at that light, at that intersection, and he said, oh, pulls you over, he's going to write you a ticket, right? And you know what the ticket basically says? You sinned. You owe us money. That's the atonement for your sin. You have to pay a fine, right? And so let's just say it was me, <laughs> and I was late to church, and so I was speeding, And I get written a ticket that says, Pastor Mark, you sinned. You have to make atonement. I get this ticket. I go down to the courthouse. And I say, I'm here to atone for my sins. (laughs) I say, you're in the wrong place, buddy. No, no, no. I have a a ticket here I need to pay. And they punch in the number and they pull it up and they say, oh, it's already been paid. I say, what? Yeah, somebody came in yesterday and paid paid your ticket for you. That's substitutionary atonement. They have atoned for my sins on my behalf. Now you take that example and you double it and you multiply it by infinity and now we're getting to what Jesus has done for us. That our sins have completely separated us from God for eternity and Jesus wipes the slate clean and welcomes us back to him. He paid the price on our behalf. He was the substitute to atone for our sins. And this is good news. Because it establishes 
the value of our soul. The price that was paid for your soul, the price that was paid for my soul, is incomprehensible to us. And so our bottom line takes these first couple of verses in this passage, and it states very clearly, love goes first. Love goes first. Might be the shortest bottom line I've ever had, but it really is that simple. Love goes first. God is love. God went first. God invited us and initiated a relationship with us first. He went first with us. In fact, Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 5 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The righteous for the ungodly. That while we were sinners, God went first. He valued us enough to sacrifice for us first. But it doesn't stop there. He asks us to go first with others because his love is in us. He says, don't wait. Initiate. Don't wait to love others. Go first. I went first with you, God says, so you then can go first with others. And we see this clearly in verses 11 and 12 as we continue. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So the application of 9 and 10 comes in verse 11 and 12. We ought to love others too. We ought to recognize that every soul has worth. Every soul is of immeasurable value. And every person in this world is worth dying for. But the sad reality is that so many people out there don't know that. They've either never heard it, or the way it was presented to them was more like, your soul has worth and you're worth dying for if you do this and this and this and this and this. And there's some legalistic requirement that you have to do to make yourself worthy of God's love. But the gospel comes in and says, no, God says you're worth dying for, apart from the things that we have done. We believe in him through faith, and we have an opportunity now at Christmas, perhaps more than any other time, to communicate that worth and that value to other people as the whole world is talking about Christmas, whether they understand the magnitude of it or not. We have the opportunity, as I said last week, to come in and connect the dots for people and help them to understand what Christmas means to them, how Christmas establishes the value of their soul. And so it's as if John really wanted that to be crystal clear that we have an opportunity to communicate the worth that people have to God when we choose to love them, when we choose to initiate, when we choose to go first, when we choose to put them first. We have an opportunity to show them how much God loves them. In fact, he says in verse 11, no one has ever seen God. Like, we can't see God walking around in human form here and now. But if we love one another... Then God lives in us because God is love, and his love is made complete in us. And that is a kind of a mind-blowing statement, that he lives in us, and his love is made complete in us when we love others, when we follow him in loving others, when we follow him in going first. His love is made complete in us. The New Living Translation renders that little passage 
His love is brought to full expression in us, both in our own lives, but also in the lives of others. That there are people who don't know what we know. There are people who don't understand what we understand. There are people who have not received the gift that we have received. And when we allow God's love to flow through us into the lives of others, then we share the good news. And so that image is of a, of a river, not a reservoir. You see, it's of a river that God's love flows into our lives and out through our lives into the lives of others. That we're not meant to be building dams to keep as much of God's love for ourselves as reservoirs, but to allow God's love to flow through us into the lives of others. That as we allow God's love to flow through us into the lives of others, he gives us more love. He gives us more grace. He gives us more mercy as we share the love and the grace and the mercy that we have received from him. He gives us more and he gives us more and he's not going to run out. And so an image came to mind if you've ever had a couple of toddlers with a pile of toys. One of two things will usually happen. Either they will decide these toys are mine and the other one says, yeah, but these toys are mine. And they turn their backs to each other and they play with their toys, right? They divided their toys and they both are miserable because they're thinking about the toys they didn't get rather than playing with the ones they have, right? Have you ever witnessed this? You know, what's really fun is when you see a couple of toddlers bring their toys together and say, these are our toys. And they sit down and they play with them together and they are much more imaginative and much more connected with each other and there's relationship instead of dividing And hoarding, they choose to share and to multiply, and they have so much more fun, and they'll lose track of time, and they'll be so much more creative. Because we're to be rivers, not reservoirs. We're to allow God's love to flow through us into the lives of others. There's a beautiful example of this in our own congregation in the last week. Last Sunday, we had Pastor Keith up here, and we commissioned him for his trip to Nepal. He made it safely, by the way, is is posting pictures on his Facebook group of the ministry that's being done there, which is wonderful. He also shared a little need that we we, we were aware of through a clinic that had had a a freak accident, an explosion of an oxygen tank in Myanmar that took two lives, and it destroyed most of the clinic. And we shared, you know, we've, we've... designated $2,000, a little over $2,000 from our missions budget to go to this. And we just threw open an invitation for you to participate in that as well. And I was thinking, maybe we get another two or 3000 Wouldn't it be cool if we sent $5,000 from Linwood? And over $10,000 has come in. Over $10,000 has flown through or flown into our lives and out through our lives. And here's what's beautiful about that. That does not benefit Linwood in some physical way or you know you could say well when I give to the general fund that pays for the lights and that pays for the staff and that pays for you know the ministries and the programs and those types of things there's some benefit that comes back but when you give $12,000 as a congregation out into Myanmar how many of you have got Myanmar on your calendar for the next 30 days most of us are never going to end up in Myanmar And yet there's going to be a clinic rebuilt and there's going to be lives that are touched and there are going to be people who receive life-saving medical care or treatment because of the generosity that flowed into this congregation and out through this congregation. And so that's a perfect example. It does not benefit us, it benefits others. It flowed into us and out into the world. And so the real goal here is, is, I think of an electrical term. My dad was a a career electrician and... uh, I picked up a few things along the way. And one of them that I thought had spiritual application was when he talked about resistance. You see, conduits take electricity from one place to another. So an extension cord is a conduit. It takes electricity from the wall outlet to 
whatever's on the other end of it. And there are high-resistance conduits or conductors where there's a lot of resistance and they typically get really hot because there's a lot of resistance and it slows down and less current is at the end of the conduit than was at the beginning, okay? It's a crash course in electrical conductivity and I'm probably butchering it, but I think you get the point. The goal for us as believers in Jesus Christ is to be zero-resistance conduits for God's love in our lives so that the same amount of love that comes into our life flows through our life out of our lives. Those are called superconductors. There are materials in this world that are superconductors and the same amount of current is at the beginning and at the end and there's no heat and there's no resistance. And that's what our lives are supposed to be like. That, that God's love would flow into our lives and it would meet zero resistance from our flesh, right? From our sin nature. That's what resists God's will. So as God's love flows into our lives, it meets zero resistance and comes out the other side to love others. Another John that we read about in Scripture put it this way. John the Baptist said, He must increase, I must decrease. God's Spirit living in me must increase. My flesh, my sin nature must decrease because it's my flesh and my sin nature that brings resistance to God's will, brings resistance to God's love flowing through my life into the lives of others. And so we're to be superconductors. In fact, I would even go so far as to say you've seen those strips, those power strips. You've probably seen them at Christmas time, right? Because we need more plugs than we have wall outlets for. What if we saw our lives as a power strip? We plug into God and we have all these power lines going out from us, all these ways of bringing love into the world around us, into people that are far from God, that we have access to, that they are in, in, in relationship with us, but they're not in relationship with a pastor. They're not in relationship with God through prayer. They're not in relationship with God through his word, but they're in contact with us. They rub shoulders with us, and so we have an opportunity to be God in their lives, to bring their attention to God, to let his love flow through us into their lives so that they will have an awareness of the value he places on them. Because remember, God goes first. He goes first in all this. He goes first with us, and then he asks us to go first with others, to be love to other people, to leave behind what is comfortable and enter the mess, just like Jesus left behind the glory of heaven and entered into this broken and fallen world to seek out and to extend itself and to sacrifice for others. That's what he asks us to do. For others. One of my favorite questions in our Banding Together journal, there are accountability questions that we ask each week. And one of my favorites just simply says, who can you show greater love to this week? Who can you show greater love to? And we seek to put a face and a name to that question. And maybe it's somebody close to us. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a relative that's coming for Christmas dinner. Maybe it's a co-worker. But we seek to answer that question and to then be intentional about showing greater love to that person, whoever it may be. And so I'll ask you today, who can you show greater love to this week? Who can you seek out and extend yourself and make a sacrifice for another person to show them the value that God places on their soul, on their life? And there is a beautiful example of this in the Christmas story. There's a beautiful example of the perfect response to God's word coming into our lives. Maybe you've been reading the Christmas story with your family or maybe these words 
resonate with you when we get to them. But there was once a human who God lived in, literally, who love, because God is love, lived in, literally. And it was not a king, it was not a warrior, it was not a priest or a prophet. It was a humble teenage girl in a no-name town. And when the news came to her, her response was exactly what our response should be when the good news comes to us. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May I go love first. So may her response be our response. May we go first at Christmas. May we love first at Christmas this year. At this time, I want to invite the uh, praise team to come and to join us back on stage. Because we're going to end this service with communion, this time of, of looking into God's word with communion. And I, I love Communion Sunday. I really do. I look forward to it each month. And I'm glad that I'm a part of a tradition that takes place or that that takes the Lord's Supper, that participates in the Lord's Supper and gives attention to the Lord's Supper on a regular basis, that we do this on the first Sunday of each month. But if I'm honest, December is my favorite month to participate in communion. The Advent season, when so much attention is focused on Jesus and the contrast between him coming to earth and how he left this earth is so beautiful and so profound and so powerful. And so even this, this morning, we, we put our communion elements right in front of the manger scene. Because Jesus knew when he went first, when he came to this earth, he knew what awaited him at the end of that decision. And he did it anyway. And my mind went to a lyric from another Christmas song that simply asked the question of Jesus, did you know? Did you know, did the cross cast its shadow over your cradle? Did you know? I believe he did. And because of the value that he placed on you and on me, he came anyway, knowing what it would cost him. And so as we turn our attention to these elements, I want to invite you to open those. For those of you that are in the room, go ahead and open those two flaps. The first flap reveals... A small piece of bread representing Christ's body, which was bruised for us, which was nailed to a cross. And then the second flap reveals the juice, which represents his blood poured out for us. Now here at Linwood, we often make sure people know we serve what is called an open communion. It means you don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to have your name on some list somewhere. You only have to follow Christ's instructions that as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of him. And so I'd like to lead us in a moment of prayer where we will partake of these elements together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your love and for the opportunity that you give us to come into relationship with you through the body and blood of Christ. We take a moment now of silence to confess anything 
that may have come between us and you. We thank you for the value that you place on our souls. And we thank you for this small piece of bread. And remember, as scripture says, that on the night that you were betrayed, in the presence of your betrayer, you took the bread and you gave thanks for it. And you broke it. And you said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Likewise, after the meal, you took the cup and you said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For forgiveness of sins. And you said, take and for your love. We pray that you will empower us and equip us and send us to go and share that love with others. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.